Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Welcome back to Morning Footy. Well, MLS Decision Day always brings the drama in this Saturday. We're going to find out who is in and who is out of the postseason. Here's a look at the notable fixtures. Oh, my goodness. I'm looking at that Sporting KC Minnesota United match at 9 p.m. Eastern. LA oh, Galaxy yeah, hosting FC Dallas. San Jose Earthquakes, Austin FC. All of those teams in the West fighting for those final spots. That NYCFC Chicago Fire one is going to be really good as well at 6 p.m. Eastern. And again, you can watch all of these matches on Apple TV Plus this Saturday. <gasps> Whew, decision day is always wild. It Charlie. is wild. Wild, wild, wild. Um, but this time of year also means that we are going to discuss the end of season awards in MLS. And some of us got to vote. Raise your hand if you got to vote. I was supposed to, and I didn't submit. <laughs> I love this. Okay, yeah. so the big one is obviously the Landon Donovan MLS MVP award and I feel like there is just a, a consensus amongst most people in and around soccer circles that there is one standout candidate who is likely going to, to win and that would be Lucho Acosta from yes. FC Cincinnati. Here's a look at the other notable nominees. If you were going to pick a couple of these guys from this list that you know would have an outside shot, I'd say maybe a Hani Mukhtar. Perhaps a Denny Buwanga, um, who has a, a ton of goals for, mm. for LAFC. Uh, Roman Berkey, a goalkeeper, the DP goalkeeper for St. Louis City, has had an outstanding season. And I, I think you could make a, a case for these guys, but at the end of the day, for me, and I think you guys agree with me, yeah. Lucho Acosta is the is the standout yeah, and the I, obvious choice. I would say it's not even close, uh, given that... Cincinnati have won the Supporters' Shield. He's the best player on the best team. And not only that, he has 16 goals and 13 assists this season. He, he's just been phenomenal. He's a game changer. And I, I think that's not even a, a question at this point. I, I guess number two and three in the race would be interesting because Buanga and Berkey and you have Cucho Hernandez mm -hmm. as well as Hani Mukhtar. Who finishes second and third in the voting will be interesting, but Lucho, you just got to stand up and clap because this has been a, a spectacular season from the midfield maestro. I try to think back to another player that had a season that was this influential. And I, am I wrong to suggest that was Gia, uh, Giovanna uh, Giovinco when he first came? Mm, that's well, that's Ro a good Robbie Keane was... Uh, Robbie Keane was... Robbie Keane, both goals and assists. Yeah. In, ter in terms of... 
his impact in the game. But yes, uh, then the next step was was Jovinko. The way Jovinko sort of came in and took over, you were just like, wow. And Lucho Acosta's been in this league for a while, and we've seen him be influential at moments. But to put together an entire season this way, where we're still saying like, hey, I think he got his green card. Can he play for the U.S.? This has been an impressive season, especially on a team like FC Cincinnati, which had gotten it wrong so many times in a row. To see it all come together this way, very, very impressive. So I'm thinking how many former Boga players have uh, been MLS MVPs, including <laughs> Guillermo. We were talking about Guillermo Barros-Ekeloto. Um, but seriously, though, the way that he has impacted the league and especially this season for FC Cincinnati, how, how influential he is for, for the setup and for their success and how good they are and how they've been able to really just run away with competition in the league almost. I don't remember the last time an MVP vote was this unanimous, like almost a landslide. Maybe Jovinko is that guy. Um, I don't. I, I don't remember the last time it was like. I'm trying to unanimous? think. I feel like, like Carlos Vela when Hany he Mukhtar when he last year, year was. Hani last year was was, was a unanimous ish. Uh, uh, Carlos Vela was in his there. MVP season. Yeah. was Drusi was there. Drusi was there. Uh, but but Hani Mukhtar last year he also won the Golden Boot last year, right. which which helps. But he was I think for for Hani Mukhtar in Nashville I think they might have finished around fourth last year. I can't remember where they finished, but right. He put the team on his back, you know, like his. He was why they finished. Exactly, (laughs) exactly, exactly. Um, Whereas in Cincinnati and with Lucho, I mean, he is obviously an an essential uh, part of this club. But there is a the entire setup. They're they're a complete team. Um, They're a complete team. They're well coached and. They now have the supporter shield. And it's not one, just the goals either. I mean, he's top one percent carries, shooting, passing, top one percent. The way he gravitates, it's it's he's like the poster boy of this team. But mm-hmm. there's an entire supporting cast in the back that <laughs> they're at his level. They're at MVP level. And the other thing I wanted to say is that Lucho Acosta. Why you guys? Why you guys? He, look at he just there? almost got whiplash. I no, love it when Charlie makes no, that face. I, I would, I, you you think that everyone is not no not MVP level, but they've stepped up to help him be at MVP oh, level. Okay. Like you know, they, also made them they, they, they they don't they don't drop off. Every, Barrial has been incredible. Wobodo has been sensational. Um, the the back line is pretty sturdy, organized. Arias has been good. It, it's it's a strong, robust team mm. where their best guy. Charges, charges forward, and, and and I don't. But carries not the right world a word. Accompanies the rest of this project. What I wanted to say about Lucho, he's tiny. Oh, he's Eddie. He's and for those, five man. Foot three. He's Jovinko was tiny too. Right, but <laughs> Carlos Hill. I, I, I had never seen Lucho in person up close. I spoke to him after U.S. Open Cup semifinal, and for th- everybody thinking that you need to be big and strong to excel in the sport, he is exceptionally small. And for him to be an MLS MVP, he is. And it's incredible how good you can be. He's right, but I get why you're laughing. <laughs> no, 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 but he Maxi is, Morales, too. Maxi Morales is incredible. Well, look at Maradona. Probably wasn't that much taller than him. Yeah, but the his, best his quads were as wide as he yeah. is tall. <laughs> hey, Lucho, don't forget Lucho getting up on that, uh, you know, um, Wayne, Wayne Rooney, Rooney cross. cross. Yeah. Who's got quads, too, and <laughs> calves. It, but, My guy got up there. But though, yeah. It, it's better. physically <laughs> exceptional what he's, what, what he's able to five accomplish. Three. He's five foot three. Wow. Same height as Jivinko. That's listed. 
and Maxi Morales. They're all, oh my gosh. I'll, wow. I'll be listed at what six What a trio. <laughs> you, you oh, are you trying to say they're five? I'm not, I'm not anyway, saying anything. I'm uh, just saying listed. But yeah, that, I mean, just a, an incredibly <laughs> remarkable season for, you know for Lucho works. Acosta. Incredibly well-deserving of that yes. award. Should he receive it? I think he will. Let's move on to Young Player mm. of the Year Award. This used to be Rookie of the Year, but MLS changed the rules, and now it's Young Player of the Year. Whatever. Alas, these are the notable nominees. Um, some, some pretty impressive names. John Tolkien, friend of the show on this list, uh, but let's go around and kind of give our mm -hmm. vote as to who we think is deserving of this one. Nico, we'll start with you. Tiago Armada. Obviously, I knew you were gonna do that. Charlie? Um, yeah, by a landslide. I mean, he's played 2,600 minutes uh, with an 84% pass percentage, 30 games started, 17, goal, 17 assists, 11 goals. I mean, this he is absolutely phenomenal. The only active World Cup winning player in Major League Soccer history. Incre oh. Incredible. I mean, yeah. when you watch him play, well, Messi now, but during that time, yeah. uh, it was Thiago Amada. So, just incredible. World Cup Fran winning, France active. Had, France had already won the World Cup when Schweinsteiger was playing in Major League Soccer. Uh, Germany. You mean Germany? Schweinsteiger wasn't. That's what I'm saying. You said France. Schweinsteiger wasn't right. playing with the German national team when he came to the Chicago Fire. Oh, that's what you're saying by active. Like, is active on the national team winning while playing in the World Cup. I thought that was pretty obvious what he meant. Oh, uh, I, I didn't, sorry. I'm going to surprise you guys with a name you might not have heard of, uh, Tiago Amada. I'm also saying. <laughs> uh, he's absolutely incredible. Uh, absolutely incredible uh, chance creator. I mean, there's nothing more we can say yeah. besides... I have a feeling this man will represent the record-breaking transfer out of MLS. Yeah. He yep. is that good, and he deserves it, and there's no one that watches him play that thinks anything different. And Absolutely incredible. He, he leads the second most prolific attack in Major League Soccer. Mm. At, at Atlanta United has the second most you goals think? out of the entire league. Okay, goals. Uh, okay. They're just, I don't know. I, I, I don't disagree that... He is deserving of this right. award. And, I just, Atlanta is still the rest of the most, team has questions. The rest second of the team. Most, <laughs> yeah. Second most all time assists in Atlanta United history behind Julian Gressel. He yeah. passed Miggy. Yeah. Made no, I mean, he's, he's, he's special. I think uh, if we were going to throw one other name into the ring, I talked about him last week, is Duncan McGuire of Orlando City. Um, he was the, the sixth overall draft pick by Orlando. He's got 11 goals, three assists on the season. And my point last week was that you just so rarely see a draft pick come in and have the kind of impact that this guy has had. You know, usually may, maybe if you're lucky, you get a, a handful of starts. Um, in an MLS season, but typically you go down to some of the lower leagues, you get some time there. Um, but for a guy like Duncan McGuire to come in and and be such a an important part of this Orlando team and their attack, they are sitting in second place in the East. I think um, second it's just place remarkable. He's, he's uh, and he he's he's just a. He's a big guy, you know. He's just one of these Old like school. he's one of these big center forwards, and he's you. He's not necessarily, you don't look at him and say like, oh, he's like the most skillful, skillful player, but it's his movement. It's the way he moves and the way he's able to manipulate his body and find space in the box and just be at the right place in the right time. He is, he's like, he's like a, a throwback yeah. striker. Shout out to college soccer. And still, I, still, still Creighton. producing players. He's a, he, Creighton. He's Let's a, go. A, a Creighton grad, um, but just a, a, a really solid pickup for Orlando. And I've, I've loved watching him this season. So give him some flowers. I'll yeah, also throw in, 
uh, Alan Velasco, Nelson Quinones, uh, Kid Cowell, Noel Buck, and Mateusz Bogush. Bogush. But Almada is Yeah, it's Almada. Yeah, no, it's Almada. Yeah. It's Almada. Let's be honest. Okay, we're going to take a break. Ooh, Imbizo Zamane is going to join us. Hey, when we come back, our good friend Imbizo, we are going to uh, ch chat some Ghana with him. Stay with us. Welcome back to Morning Footy. The U.S. men's national team in action tonight. Second of two friendlies during this international window. They're going to face Ghana at Geodas Park in Nashville. You can watch this game at 8.30 p.m. Eastern on TNT. And for more on the U.S.'s opponent, we are absolutely thrilled to bring in our very good friend, Mbizo Zamane. Mbizo, great to see you. How are you doing today? I'm very well, thank you, Susanna. I missed you last week. It's lovely to see oh, you, too. Oh, I missed you, too. I know. I was sitting in the control room, and I was very jealous. I was like, can I come on for this, <laughs> for this segment so I can say hello to Mbizo? It just didn't feel right. Uh, but lovely to see you now. Let's chat um, about this friendly between the U.S. and Ghana. They're coming off that 2-0 loss to Mexico, and the results since the World Cup, I would say kind of kind of up and down for this Ghana team, but if you had to kind of assess where they're at right now, what would you say? Well, um, I, I think you're absolutely right in terms of their performance is really inconsistent. Um, despite being unbeaten under uh, Chris Hooten since he took charge in February, they haven't really been convincing. They haven't looked threatening. Um, of course, they won two matches before they, uh, their defeat to Mexico, but against really weak opposition, uh, forgive me for saying, in Liberia and the Central Africa Republic. Uh, I mean, obviously, Ghana dominated possession against the Mexicans, but really failed uh, to, to really create any real goal-scoring opportunities. On the other hand, the Mexicans managed out quite a few themselves. So uh, potentially, uh, despite being a superior team, uh, I think the Ghanaians didn't really demonstrate their true potential. Uh, and unfortunately, that's kind of been a theme with them uh, for quite some time. Uh, and it's unfortunate because uh, USA, I think we can all agree, is a vastly superior team to Mexico at the moment. Um, so they, they really need to step up their game. Mbizo. Watching the Ghana side play against this Mexican team, you saw that they were trying to play into the channels, and it was usually one attacker with no support, no one in the middle being a, a, an option for a cross. How do you see this Ghana side changing the way they play? Because Chris Hooten, what he's known for is setting his side up defensively and giving you structure, but attacking in the creativity in the final third is, is lacking and, and it has lacked with his clubs as a manager. How does he get Ghana to play to, to the best of their ability, given that they have a player like Mohamed Kudus uh, as an attacker? Well, exactly right. Uh, they have extremely talented players going forward. You mentioned one of them. There's Kudus. Uh, Iñaki Parte is an extremely talented player, obviously, in the middle of the park. Um, and then also on the, the on the wings, uh, rather, wing back. Uh, they have very good players, for example, in Tariq Lamdi. So you, you'd hope that they would um, be a little bit more direct, I think, uh, and also try to exploit some of the individual talent that they have. I've, I've always thought that um, African teams uh, should try to 
to uh, be a little bit more individualistic, uh, much like South American teams, because they often have the players with the talent, creativity, and flair to make opportunities happen. So I think if Ghana can try to open themselves up, um, try to go to go wide first, and then look to go towards the center as they enter the final third, I think they can be a little bit uh, more threatening and a little bit more potent in attack. Yeah, they didn't record a single shot on target against very predictable. Mexico. Yeah, it was a little bit worrying. Mbizo, um, kind of a two-parter. Is this one of the weaker Ghana sides you remember in recent history? Um, again, in terms of uh, performance on the pitch, yes. Um, as far as the team sheet is concerned, they actually have a very good team sheet. They have players scattered all across uh, Europe, France, England, Spain, Germany. So, I mean, some really, really top leagues. Um, and, and again, I spoke about some of their, their notable players, but they also have a lot of promising young talent, uh, like Ernest Noama, who I've gushed about in the past, uh, Antoine Semenyo, who plays for uh, Bournemouth, uh, uh, Salisa Med at RC so they do have um, quality players. But what's not happening is uh, the cohesion that we've come to expect of the Black Stars uh, over the years. And that's a bit, uh, it's a bit troubling for them because they're really going to need it in order to, to come out triumphant in this uh, AFCON. So moving it on, I want to look past AFCON and into World Cup qualifiers. They've got two fixtures in the November window. Their group consists of... Mali, Madagascar, Central African Republic, Comoros, and Chad. Are you at all concerned that they won't get out of the group and possibly not go direct to a World Cup? Uh, I think my, my Ghanaian friends would have my head on a stake if I said <laughs> that they, they might have trouble qualifying from that group. Um, but the truth is, even the qualification for the AFCON was, uh, was touch and go for, for quite some time. Um, so you'd expect that their only real challenge would be Mali and that they would waltz towards uh, at least moving forward to the next round. But uh, they haven't been consistent. Um, even in their qualifications for AFCON, there were a lot of dramatic wins. Uh, there were some draws, very drab draws that probably shouldn't have occurred and they'd be disappointed with. Um, so I think, I think it, it, we have to wait and see which Ghana shows up. Mm. Um, but if the Ghana that we all know and love is the one that shows up, they should have absolutely no problem at all. Uh, speaking of AFCON, they're going to be going up in the same group as Egypt. Got to be the favorites there. Uh, how do you think they're going to fare in, the, in AFCON? And I know I have a lot of Ghanaian friends that are very proud of this team, but they're very worried about this team. They're very worried about the way they're set up, even with all the quality and talent that they have. What, what sense are you getting that Ghana needs to really show up in Group B here? Yeah, I mean, obviously, Egypt is is by far their strongest opponent, uh, recent finalist as well, and obviously have have one of the best players in the world and one of the best players in, in football history for me, um, particularly with his exploits in, in the Premier League. Uh, Cape Verde is no slouch. I think um, the expectation will obviously be that Ghana proceeds from the group. Uh, their former winners as well, uh, 63, 65, 78, 82, uh, although these were a long time ago. In their last edition, uh, they finished last in the group. So um, it's, it's really difficult to predict what's going to happen. But I think the Ghanaians, um, their base expectations will be to, to progress from the group, uh, perform well against Egypt, even if they don't necessarily come out victorious. Um, and, and really, uh, they, they, should be, they should be looking to do well in this AFCON. Absolutely. 
And Bezo, I know you're, you're partial in this comment and you got some friends with what I'm about to ask you. Tonight, U.S. Ghana, what's the score? What, what, what are you, you really expecting? Make this? Yeah, what are you expecting? <laughs> And Bezo, remember who did this to you? <laughs> yeah, I am. I am. I'm keeping a scorecard. I'm keeping a scorecard. Who stresses me the most? Um, look, uh, to be very, very frank, um, I, I would expect United States to be victorious. What score? I'm not sure. Um, but like I said, I, I think Ghana, rather than looking for victory, should be looking to improve their performances. I think that's what matters most. Uh, in the past, Ghana has generally come out victorious against the United States, uh, especially in those World Cup battles, uh, which have all become quite iconic and I think have uh, generated a, a bit of a rivalry between these, these two teams. Uh, but the days of Essien, Afia, and Suleali Muntaya are gone now. Um, and, and I think that really would have been considered the golden age. And um, I, I think U.S. has the quality to outclass Ghana. Um, but I, I think Ghana needs to demonstrate that they are a powerhouse of African football. And I think they can do that with the right approach. Okay, Bizo, time to talk about Bafana Bafana. Last time I asked you how you were feeling before the draw. The draw is out. Is South Africa getting out of the group? Look at him, he's shaking. Short answer is yes. The patriotic answer is yes. The patriotic answer is yes. <laughs> the uh, objective analytical answer is it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. And, and any level-headed Bafana Bafana fan would say uh, we're not going to put our expectations and our hopes too high. Um, but um, South Africa has been re-emerging as, as uh, a top uh, team in Africa with some good results. Uh, but again, Tunisia, Mali, these are teams that are jam-packed with quality players that are applying their trade all across Europe, uh, while South Africa can't necessarily say the same at this point in time, despite having players like Percy Dao uh, and Lyle Foster, who of course is, is doing pretty well at Burnley. Um, we still think on paper, uh, and uh, due to historical uh, sort of idiosyncrasies that South Africa will struggle to get out of the group, but we are fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. I love it. Mm -hmm. Keep it positive. Uh, and Bezo, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Always a pleasure, my friend. Abs absolutely a delight, folks. Thank you so much. All right, Be we're going to take a break. Us. Hey, we're going to have more friends <laughs> on the show. Felipe Cardenas is going to join us after a break to uh, chat about Mexico and their international window. Stay with us. Welcome back. We're checking in on the Mexican national team. Here's a look at what their international window looks like. They're coming off that 2-0 win over Ghana. And tonight, they will take on Germany, 8 p.m. Eastern. You can watch that match on 2DNA. And for more on Mexico, we bring in our very good friend, Felipe Cardenas. Felipe, I feel like I haven't seen you in a hot minute. Where have you been? Where have you been? I mean, you weren't you weren't at the desk last week. I mean, uh, I didn't see you. Yeah, you were in and out. I was. I mean, it was it was a, it was a whole together. thing. It was a whole thing. But we're we're all back in our in our rightful places. Um, but yeah, it is. It has been good to see you. We um, we've missed you on this show. Um, but we're excited to chat with you a little bit about Mexico. Um, they're coming off a nice result against Ghana. They face Germany tonight. Um, what did they do well? 
against Ghana that you think that they will implement tonight in that game? It's a good question because I think the, the tactics are going to be very similar. If you remember, and this this goes back to 2018, remember that first game of the World Cup for Mexico against Germany, the way that they beat that German side 1-0? It was a counterattacking side, a very aggressive pressing side, a direct side. Uh, and, and that's what you saw against Ghana. And that's what I think will happen uh, tonight against Germany. You know, you know, Mbizo taking some shots at the Mexican team, <laughs> saying that Ghana you know, far better, vastly superior. The U.S. are vastly superior uh, than than Mexico right now. But it was a really good result because I, I think they showed a, another side of, of the way that they can play. Coming off four years with Tata Martino, where keeping the ball, being dominant in possession and breaking down teams was the goal. Against Ghana, they were very aggressive. They just played direct, and 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 they really put Ghana under pressure and got those goals in, in counterattacking moments. And so that's going to be the key, I think, uh, tonight against Germany because that was the formula uh, at that World Cup in 2018 and that huge upset in in that first round game. Felipe, I want to talk. I want to ask about Jaime Lozano. I know he gets a lot of credit for how he deals with the younger players in Mexico and having worked with them before. But Santi Jimenez, 22 years old, absolutely balling right now. What's going on there? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's it's a controversy yet. And the reason why is because we're, these are friendlies. You know, this this isn't World Cup qualifying. There are not points at stake here where every decision on the touchline is going to be scrutinized. But, you know, Jaime Lozano did address it twice over the last week. You know, why Santi Jimenez, who is in excellent form, as you mentioned, in Europe, uh, you know, why isn't he starting? And, and why is Raul Jimenez, who's not playing well uh, for Fulham in, in the Premier League, you know, getting shots here? And so, you know, well, Jaime Lozano said he admitted Santi, Santi Jimenez is of, of all the strikers right now between Raul Jimenez, Henry Martin and Santi Jimenez, Jimenez is the, the striker in the best form, according to Jaime Lozano. That's obvious. Uh, he did have to walk back, though, like his process here. And what he's saying is that, you know, don't don't fret yet. You know, he's th these are friendlies. He's allowed to experiment and he's giving each striker a look here. And so if you go by what Jaime Lozano has done in these previous friendlies, he's given Raul Jimenez a start. He's given Santi Jimenez a start. And if you go by that logic, I would expect Santi Jimenez to get the start tonight against Germany. Felipe, how important is it for the Mexican national team to have a player like Ch Chucky Lozano coming back? He's 28 years old. It seems like he's had a, a big drop off. Now he's at PSV, gets this goal against, Ger uh, against Ghana. Do you feel like he's back to being the Chucky Lozano that they need, or is this still a work in progress? It depends. You know, I, I reference this game from the 2018 World Cup against against Germany because he scored the goal. And at the time, Charlie, if you remember, he was you know dubbed the breakout star of that World Cup, expected to be a big breakout star after that after that winner against Germany. And and yeah, like he's had his moments. He was a big time, big money transfer to Napoli. You know, his his performances there were hit or miss. And now he's back in the Dutch league where he started. You know, when he, when he left Pachuca, he he ended up in, in, in the Eredivisie as well. And that's really where he made Made his name in Europe. But again, I think it depends on how Mexico wants to play. He's a very unique player. He's a very direct player. And if they're going to play possession-based football, which is what really happened over the last four years, you know, just trying to get results and get into a World Cup, it was difficult to really, you know, expose him and and, and isolate him in one v one in one v one matchups. I think against Ghana, you saw that Jaime Lozano wants him to be running at defenders, and when he does that, he's still, in my opinion, one of the most dangerous wingers in world football. You know, he has dropped. I agree, but still twenty eight. 
great. Still plenty to, to do and still very, very pacey. And so he is the big man up front for them alongside any of the strikers that I think line up for Mexico. Obviously, you know, Santi Jimenez is the big the big name because of his form. But, you know, Chucky Lozano is still the star for Mexico. Um, in the Germany-USA press conference, Julian Nagelsmann's press conference was entirely in German except for the very last question that Michele Giannone asked. And he asked him about Mexico, Felipe. And Julian Nagelsmann was pretty high on Mexico. And almost in his answer gave a slight to the United States in the way that Mexico uh, wants to play with the ball, uh, this possession style. Um, do you see it like that, that Mexico is so praiseworthy like Nagelsmann, or is that almost just like this pre-game courteous uh, way of speaking pre-game from the German manager? I think it's probably a little bit of the latter, just giving the opponent a lot of respect. There's there's recency bias as well, because if you go by what happened over the last two years, and, and definitely at the World Cup in Qatar, Mexico were out in the group stage and, and, and they just weren't good enough. But again, they've been revitalized under a young coach like Germany. And, and, and if you go back to that U.S. game against Germany, what the U.S. did well in the first half was they were aggressive, they were attacking, they were counterattacking, they were very good in transition until that game plan just fell apart. And if you give Germany the ball, you know, they're going to break you down. So I, th I think this is a big showcase for Jaime Lozano. You mentioned him. You know, what what is he going to do against a top, top opponent? You know, is he going to go back and be aggressive like he was against Ghana? Is it going to be cagey? Does he want to keep the ball and sort of bait them into their into their uh, own half, the Germans? So, you know, I, I think this is a really fun game. And, and there's history here, like I mentioned several times already. That game from the 2018 World Cup is still lingering. I think it's still a bit of a blueprint for Mexico because a lot of the same players, a lot of the same styles, and Germany can be exposed if you go at them. If you give them bo the ball, as, as Greg Berhalter said yesterday, they're going to they're gonna beat you. Felipe, I'm curious because earlier this summer after Nations League, we all talked about how Mexico was kind of at the lowest point that, that we had seen them in a long time. And then they go on to, to win the Gold Cup. They've had some positive results now. Um, so where are they at? Like, what's the temperature, especially with that, that fan base, considering where they were earlier in the season when it was dire straits um, to where it is right now? You know, watching the game against Ghana and the way Mexico played and how confident they were and how, you know, co the collective was they were just on the same page throughout the match. And then the fans there, the sellout crowd in Charlotte, I was just so impressed to your point, Susanna, it didn't look like the team that was under pressure. You know, they look like a team that was flying and, and just really confident. And again, this does go back, I think, to Jaime Lozano. I know he has a lot to prove. First time coach here uh, at the senior national team level. But the players want to play for him. They really do. And I think that that you can see the confidence in this side. There's still pressure on Mexico. You know, the, the, the benefit for them is that they're not playing World Cup qualifiers. That is where a lot of Mexican teams, you know, really falter. You know, no matter how good they are, and 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 it's not just the Tata Martino sides. Many coaches have have gone through the 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 fire, the woodshed because of World Cup qualifying in, in Concacaf. So they don't have to do that. And I think there's just a little bit more margin for error, perhaps. And again, anytime they win in any match, you know, it, it feels like everything is great in Mexico. Now this game against Germany, again, if they if if they come out and play the way the U.S. did in the second half and get beat 
the way the U.S. did. You're going to go back and there's going to be questions about Jaime Lozano. Is he ready for this position? Is this the right team? Is this the right generation? And so you never know with Mexico. But right now, yeah, they're, they're flying high. Um, let's pivot a little to uh, that match that we saw over the weekend at the Rose Bowl. Club America versus Chivas, 86,000 people, uh, which was absolutely insane. It beat the record um, for that El Trafico match that was that was held there. Felipe, do you think that crowd and the turnout for that is indicative of maybe what MLS had anticipated when they set up the the League's Cup and and drawing on that that strong Mexican fan base that we have in the United States. Do you think that's kind of what they were hoping for? That's the future? Yes. You know, that was the dream, I think. And if you go back to League's Cup, honestly, they just didn't get the matchups that they wanted. They had all Mexican games, you know, Mexican League League MX sides facing each other in the group stage. And those games weren't well attended in League's Cup, but they didn't get a Chivas America. They didn't get that. And and, and the, the way that the matchups really filtered out in the second round, you know, those teams were, weren't going to face each other. But that is the idea behind League's Cup, to your point. And yes, you know, I, in speaking to people at MLS during League's Cup, they were open to moving games, moving, at, depending on the matchups, moving them to certain venues to get the best crowd possible. So I think if you would have seen a Club America Chivas matchup in League's Cup, what we saw at the Rose Bowl was probably what we would have expected with a trophy on the line. I mean, what we saw over the weekend, it's incredible. Like, I'm still impressed. I think we're always impressed when we see that type of turnout from the Mexican fans here in the U.S. And that was during a FIFA window. The sides weren't complete, even though both teams did put out some really strong sides there. Uh, And I think what that does also for the Rose Bowl, you know, late reports last night that SoFi Stadium may not host any games in the 2026 World Cup, you know, what does that do for Los Angeles as a host city? You know, I think, you know, take it to the Rose Bowl. It's Ooh. an iconic mm. stadium I like in, I just got in North American football. Said that. Do it. TBT. Yeah, like, take it to the Rose Bowl. Look what can happen if the right matchups are there. The community is there for that. Take it to the Rose Bowl, man. Also, I like it. You know what m- m- could also be indicative? If I'm America, knowing that the Azteca is going to get remodeled and I'm being pushed out of my own home stadium, mm. If I can get that type of oh. turnout, kind of like what NFL does with their teams wow, abroad, yeah. if they can find legally the way of doing something like that. That's the key. That's the key, Nico. Like, can they find a way to play a regular season, meaningful Liga MX match in yeah. the United States? It hasn't been done. You know, La Liga has tried it. A lot of leagues want to do it. Can Mexico get it done? I mean, you saw, I mean, they must be salivating. The, the the federation, the, the, the ownership groups in, in Mexico seeing that game, just it was off the chain. It was incredible. Like America, Chivas, Tigres, Monterrey, mm-hmm. the, the big team, even they would draw. the Pumas, Cruz Azul, they don't need MLS and they don't need a League's Cup. The big Mexican teams in the United States can They're do it by here. themselves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. MLS needs them. That's the reality. <laughs> MLS needs America, Chivas, and all the teams I mentioned. That's... That I'm is sure. unbelievable. I'm sure the fans will react very level-headed to a regular season match being played in the U.S. <laughs> in, I mean, the, the ones here will. Mexico, yeah. Not the ones, yeah. the ones, no, the ones here, here will love eat it, of course. It up. Yes. And that's going to be the noise. They're going to make the noise. Uh, no, great discussion. Uh, yeah, the Rose Bowl. Those scenes were, were absolutely amazing from the weekend. Felipe, great to see you. Come back more often. Don't be a stranger. See you soon. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys, we are going to take a break. Um, We are going to chat more on the U.S. men's national team and their matchup with Ghana when we come back. Stick around. 
he's able to connect that first pass in the midfield. Here's Reina. Driving into space of Balogun on his right! On a night of firsts! Fuller and Balogun has his first international goal for the U.S. Welcome to the party, my man. So much excitement, so much hype surrounding his decision to play for the United States men's national team, and it's for these kind of moments. Welcome back. Well, over the summer, we got our first look at Florin Balogun sporting the U.S. jersey in Nations League. He scored his first goal in that finals. We saw that nice little assist from Gio Reyna. We saw, we talked about mm -hmm. what that connection can do in helping to unlock him. And after the result against Germany, head coach Greg Berhalter had this to say about it. Check it out. To, for me, it's about just looking for him. Um, you know, he made, again, he made some really good runs, and can we get him, um, can we find him with runs behind the back line? You know, Jeremy had, you know, they had one weakness. I think it was some pace in the back line, and, and we didn't exploit that enough with um, Ballo. And then in the penalty box, you know, there were so, some moments where he was close, um, but just a little bit unlucky on the ball that Christian um, shoots you know, if Christian lets it go, it's a tap in for, for Ballo. Um, he gave that good pass to Christian that led to that um, the play that could have been a penalty. So he had, you know, some involvement, but I think it's we just got to get him more more active. Get him more active. Charlie, I feel like what Greg Berhalter said was essentially exactly what you said mm -hmm. at the at the top of the, the show. What do you make of it? Yeah, I mean, do we have a graphic of the passes that he received in the game? This is your, your, your center forward, right? So look at where he's receiving the ball. There, th this is from Christian Pulisic. Mm -hmm. You're not seeing any around the box. Mm -mm. From box to box, you gotta be central. None of those passes are, are, are centrally and, and in a dangerous area. And then if we see from Gio Reyna, this is another player that you would expect more towards the goal, but again, this is the pass on the right, which I think led to the chance where Christian Pulisic took a, a touch that made him go wide of Ter Stegen and, and kind of look for a penalty kick. But that's four passes. It's not enough. From your, from your main striker. So he only had 17 touches in the match, 66 minutes. If you only have 17 touches in the match, I would expect all 17 to be highlighted in the hmm. box. You need him to be ruthless, to be involved. And you saw from Gio Reyna in the 45 minutes he played, now he had 21 of 22 passes completed. Three balls into the final third. But he wasn't all that central. He, you saw him popping out wide. And when Gio Reyna was at his best in the Nations League is when he was finding the ball in the pockets and the seams and able to drive at the back line. And then he was so good at the timing of when to slip in Balogun, where to find Balogun. Balogun was making great runs, like Greg said, but oftentimes you'd have Christian Pulisic or Timothy Weah or Gio Reyna occupying those same spots. And therefore, then, then you're, you're, you're blocked, you're hidden from from the past, so they, they have to work th some things out. Two parts to Balogun's game that I imagine Berhalter wants to see play out in this system for the national team because Berhalter's really big on back turns to goal, check in, receive and play, and get into the box, right? And then Balogun brings something else, which he's really good at, which are those run, where he's running the channels, finding the space, which the US hasn't been able to, 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 fi to find, just like against Germany, 
Should the U.S. be adjusting more, or do you think Balogun can bring more to the table with his back turn to goal type of play, that check and check play and go? Well, it's a little bit of both. I mean, it, and it depends on the opponent, depends on the situ- game situation. We saw Timothy Weah using his pace, getting down the right flank. Guess who should be in the box for the cross? Balogun. Hmm. But he wasn't there. Like in Nations League. Yes. So if I look at Balogun and the way he moves, you want to be receiving with your, your body facing the goal. You want to be slipped in. And Balogun doesn't have pace that frightens other opponents. He's not a, a player that you can say, all right, if a team is going to be high pressing us, we're going to just go look for Balogun into space and find him. He doesn't have that type of pace, but he has pace enough from 40 yards to goal where if you give him a lead, he will get there first and he will create chances. So they just have to figure out a way that if he is checking, that when he spins, he's, he's beelining the goal and you're finding him. But opening up space, I think what Greg Berhalter loves about him is he is multi, you, you, you can play him in a variety of different ways. Cause mm. Some like, would say polyfunctional. Polyfunctional is mm. your perfect mm. word. We, we saw with Jesus, Fer- Jesus Ferreira. <laughs> what he loved about Jesus is he would check and open up space. But yeah. if you do that, you also have to be able to be at the point and get in the box. And so uh, that's what I, I would like to see from him tonight. And I think we all know Greg Berhalter chooses his words pretty wisely. And to make the statement that we need to find him more mm-hmm. is really, to me, a signal to this midfield. In particular, probably Gio Reyna and Christian Pulisic sort of requesting that they be the ones to service. And we saw these passes. He's obviously not getting it. How do you make that happen when you play a team of the quality of Germany? Because if you're Germany, you can simply pay, uh, play for, uh, Florian Balligan pretty tight when you're in the box. How do you get him? How do you get the ball to him in a spot? What is it that you have to do differently? Does Giorena need to play a little bit more forward? Is that a symptom of maybe Tyler Adams not roaming behind him, protecting the back line? Well, we just saw in, in those two actions there, he makes a great run mm-hmm. and We've seen selfish strikers and that go another touch. But he finds Christian, and Christian think, should have set himself up for a one-time finish instead of taking that, that first touch. And then in that other play that we saw just after it, he gets into a, that nice little pocket, but he's not aggressive. I think he could be a little bit more aggressive in those situations. So when he finds it, he says, get me the ball, I want to play. But he, he likes to also be a little bit unselfish outside the box and, and move it around. So... When you talk about Tyler Adams in that position, he's not the player who's going to be distributing. No, but does he free Gio Reyna up to maybe be a bit more forward? Well, that's when Eunice Musa and Wes McKinney mm-hmm. are, are lower in their starting position. Mm. So it gives more space because then you're forcing midfielders to come, and that allows a little bit more of a pocket for Gio Reyna to right, operate those in. lines. Right, so if you can find Gio Reyna in the pocket, which they didn't, do too much against Germany, that's when that space opens up for Balogun. Gio Reyna, Valoran Balogun, Christian Pulisic. Would you say, Charlie, that these are the three most important players for the U.S. to get firing, especially looking ahead to to 2026? Are they essential to the success of the United States? Yeah, they, they are. But I don't want to take away from Weston McKinney, yeah. Eunice Musa, and yeah. Tim Weah. No, but I Those think are three Susan's phenomenal point, players. They need to build a very special chemistry. The, I, we should make them go do like an escape room together. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah, the we, we don't have, I feel like the United States... <laughs> we'll film it. We'll put it on. The, 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 the guy for the United States is Christian Pulisic, but it's not like we have a world-class star 
above the rest. It's not like Poland where Robert Lewandowski needs to be playing well. If not, the team doesn't find success. Everyone's kind of like a role plus player. You yeah. know, they're, they're, they're better than just a, a, a role player. They're right there, but no one is a star on their team. But they need so each this other. Is, this is well, exactly, this is a collective yeah. unit. Pulisic is now a, a star at Milan. Right. And then that's which what, I, that's what I'm happen, saying. Which is why he made that move. Pulisic is like in a little category of his own, and then everybody else, if they're, because if they're not strong, Pulisic won't be strong. He needs, it's, it's not unlike Poland, because Lewandowski scoring, Poland's going to be doing well. Um, that's the example that I came up with. But if Pulisic can't do this on his own, is what I'm saying, on the national team. He can't carry all that weight together. And also, he, he there's so much more space opened up for him if a Florian Balogun is in form and if a Gio Reyna is in form because now you have other people to sort of contend but with. I think in the World Cup, we saw him not have to do it all by right, himself. Correct. Right? Correct. So that's where, when I say they've matured and they've grown. From that point, right. Timothy Weah with the goal against Wales. Yes, Christian Pulisic scores the massive goal against yeah. uh, Iran, but it was a 0-0 draw for England. And then he had the opportunity against Holland, and, and, it, and it slipped by. Mm -hmm. So now the, the next point that we want to see in terms of progress is having a number 10, creativity. And that comes through Gio Reyna. Right. All the balls should flow through Gio Reyna. And to get the, the best out of Gio Reyna is keeping him central, mm. not on the wing. The defense also needs to. We should make him do a road locked. trip. I, I, I think the escape room idea is. I think it's a good idea, guys. <laughs> also, I love I mean, escape rooms, and I would love to see this one. Who was the player of the week, the Bojangles player of the week? Oh, oh it's a birthday. Oh, it's a birthday girl. Oh, um, uh, yeah, that's right. Yes. Poppy Miller. Let's give Poppy Miller a Happy shout out. Birthday. Happy birthday. Poppy. Look at that. Wow, Bojangles. <laughs> Looking like football spice. Versus Florida Memorial. <laughs> She's going to kill us. Oh, God. We love you, Poppy. <laughs> We absolutely adore you. We hope you have a fantastic With our birthday. family in England. Yes. Is she still there? I think so. Enjoy. Oh, Love. Cheerio. Guys, enjoy the match tonight. Go USA. We'll see you tomorrow.